This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. From a statistics perspective, the highest burden among minorities and low-income families in our community and across the country, asthma is the most prevalent chronic disease of childhood with over 6 million U.S. children affected. There's a huge opportunity to not only identify the individuals and empower them with information and access to care to better control their asthma. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. My name is Jamie Zage, and I'm your host for today's episode. We've covered health equity and population health for some time here at SG2, and I wanted to bring you a real-world example of an organization that is creating new ways to approach care delivery in a way that positively impacts a community that has often struggled to get access. I'd like to welcome my guest today, Steve Miff, who's the president and CEO of the Parkland Center for Clinical Innovation. Steve, thanks for joining me today. Jamie, thanks so much for having me. Let's get started with just introducing a little of the work of PCCI and the work you're doing with Parkland Health Community, just to set the stage for our listeners today. Happy to. PCCI, as you mentioned, stands for the Parkland Center for Clinical Innovation, and we are a nonprofit data science and social determinants of health innovation hub affiliated with Parkland Health in Dallas. We focus on innovation in digital health technology and AI to drive health equity and try to help optimize access for vulnerable population. The foundation of our work is this concept of know thy patient, where we strive to better understand individuals and communities holistically and at scale so we can better understand the risk and the drivers that those generate and help engage and better care for patients. There are four legs to this know thy patient stool, so to speak. One is the clinical data and the clinical needs, because in industry we understand that really well. The second one is the social economic barriers to health and access. We spend a lot of time on that, but also as an industry, we're able to integrate those much better into clinical care. Third is the mental and behavioral health that is increasingly so important into the care journey for patients or individuals as caregivers themselves. And four is the engagement, the activation, that capacity for self-care that I think we're just starting to break ground and understand that better and how it applies to patients in healthcare. So what we try to do is advance the understanding in each of those areas and bring them together in a way that's useful. The PCCI reviews the information to build, deploy test programs and models at three different levels. One is a point of care via real-time predictive models for clinical care, things such as trauma mortality, preventing adverse drug events or sepsis, to a population health disease management level, but that done both at the individual level to identify, prioritize outreach and engagement, things such as pediatric asthma programs or preterm birth. Finally, the community level from a population management and engagement perspective. Thank you for setting that stage. You just mentioned the pediatric asthma piece, and I know there's a lot of work that you all have been doing at PCCI that has really started to have an impact on the community, and we've seen a lot of press starting to come out around it. Why don't you share with us a little bit about why pediatric asthma was something that you wanted to tackle as a part of all of the initiatives you're engaged in? There are multiple aspects to this, Jamie. One certainly is from a statistics perspective, the highest burden among minorities and low-income 
families in our community and across the country. Asthma is the most prevalent chronic disease of childhood with over 6 million U.S. children affected. But from a race and ethnicity perspective, the black population is at 12%, Latinos at 7 or white individuals at 6 but also changes significantly by income level. And what really struck us both in our community and across the country is that among U.S. children with asthma, roughly about 50% have uncontrolled asthma. There's a huge opportunity to not only identify the individuals and empower them with information and access to care to better control their asthma. In this population, asthma is a key driver of school absenteeism and ED visits. The goal is to keep kids healthy, keep them in school, and keep them away from the emergency department. The other portion to this, I was attending a meeting in New York with a series of hospitals, and in the audience was a trauma surgeon who raised his hand and shared the story that really stuck with me. One afternoon while he was on call in the ED, he received a patient, a teenager, with a gunshot wound to the chest. And obviously it was significant, took the child to the operating room. They did everything that they could, but they could not save his life. He was walking out towards the waiting area to inform his mother, who's been there all afternoon. As he was approaching, his mother stood up and she could tell that it was not good news. He started to say, ma'am, I am so sorry, but we could not save your child. And he died from the gunshot to the chest. His mom looked at him and said, no, he didn't. He died from asthma. And he paused and first would make sure he had the right family member and said, no, I'm really sorry. But he came in earlier with being shot in the chest and despite a lot of efforts, we couldn't save him. The child's mom looked again and said, like, no, he died from asthma. How? And she said, he was a great student. He was a great athlete. He played football. But a few years ago, he was diagnosed with asthma and his condition got worse. I'm the single working mom, couldn't really care for him or provide the adequate medication. So his asthma got worse. He couldn't participate with the football team. And over the last couple of years after school, he got involved with some local kids that ended up not being somebody that he should be involved in. And that led to today. So he did not die today from the gusha to the chest. He died from asthma. This really spoke to the magnitude of this. And sometimes we just see that asthma a condition, which could have much more significant ramification. It's upon us to be able to help those families not only diagnose the children with asthma, but provide them with the resources so they can care for those children. That is heart-wrenching, but so insightful in terms of why it's so important to get every single child. You never know what not getting to them could mean for the future of their life. Wanting to think about how you now moved on to trying to solve for this and prevent this from happening with other kids and having that big impact on the community, what's the predictive modeling approach that you took to find these high-risk patients? Can you describe that to us? 
Absolutely. The good news is that as an organization, as a community, we can make progress and we can make a difference. Our initiative with this program started several years ago and has been part of the Dallas County and Parkland Health CHNA initiative. And they launched a Breathe for Life, Learn for Life program to focus specifically on the pediatric asthma population. The objective was to develop and implement a comprehensive data-driven, evidence-based QI program to address key aspects of asthma care in the community with the goal is to improve asthma control and reduce asthma-related ED visits uh, among the children in this local community. From a program design and implementation, it has four steps, focusing both on the patients and the providers. First was to identify children with poorly controlled asthma. So we built an AI model to predict the risk of asthma ED visits or hospitalizations among children. And then off of that, develop reports to drive stakeholder buy-in and support the coordination of care across the various interventions. The second component was the support triggered avoidance. We developed an effective approach to continuously provide caregivers education and motivation and do that at scale. And I can explain a little bit more about that further. But also as part of that is to leverage public health capabilities, engage the broader community to address some of the housing condition of some of the challenges that exist, not in the hospital, but exist in the community. Number three, enhance the appropriate medication use and the timeliness of that medication. And here we also use and leverage the risk predictive model and a text messaging program to enroll families with their asthmatic children and provide them with medication education, visit reminders, as well as symptom monitoring. The last one is to also empower the community and to help coordinate this effort with information that's local and granular to where they live and or where the children go to school. There's these four key steps of the programs driven by the core of it by a risk prediction model to be able to coordinate and identify identify the high-risk children, and then the direct engagement with their family, as well as the coordination information to the providers in the community. That's great. You come at it from all angles and all stakeholders in the management of the disease at the population and individual level. I'm particularly interested in the community partnership work. And what types of partners in the community did you leverage to do some of this community work? What does some of that partnership look like? When it says it takes a whole village, it really does. In this case, actually, in, in many of the disease management programs, it involved Parkland Health as the local healthcare system. It involved the local health department, the Dallas County Health and Human Services, several FQHEs or here locally organizations such as Los Barrios Unidos, Foremost Family Health Centers, also many community-based organizations, including some that were focusing specifically on helping children with asthma. One specific organization locally was the Positive Breathing, which is actually a respiratory therapist-led CBO, and the local school. And these are just the most prominent things involved organizations, but as you can tell, it involved a conglomerate of partners that each was in their own unique way supporting the families with children with asthma. That's great. As you think about 
the time that it took to pull this program together, obviously building the algorithms and all of those types of things. What are some of the other challenges and hurdles you had to face to get this initiative up and running? I can speak a little bit to both some of the successes and the challenges. But one thing that I'll add first is this required developing predictive models, both at the individual level, as well as the community level. At the individual level, it had to use clinical data with detailed social determinants of health information and be able to do it at scale. Predictors within that, such as the asthma medication prescription, the recent inpatient outpatient utilization, the ED utilization, patterns of outpatient visits, including cancellations or no-shows. I mentioned the importance of the social demographic data, but also things such as recent spirometry test results. So required the aggregation of bringing data together, both on the individual and then also figure out how do you do that at the community level. And part of the community to be able to both help with the coordination of efforts across this multitude of partners, but also to empower patients with additional information. We build a public-facing pediatric asthma surveillance system, we'll call it PASS, which is new and innovative program to be able to help visualize the information about the pediatric asthma vulnerability and the associated clinical demographic, environmental, and socioeconomic drivers across the whole community at the census tract level. Being able to take a very hyper-localized approach and empower both the partners as well as the community to drill down to the neighborhoods and more granular the census tract level was to do two things, is provide hospitals, this public health leader, the CBOs, the schools, the agencies with the data they need to prioritize and coordinate efforts to address the health disparities in across the communities that they serve. But two is been to empower families. They live across the whole geography with the detailed information about their local environment so they can better understand the risk in their neighborhood and also the driving factors, empower them with information to be much more active participants, not only in their awareness and care for their children, but also as change agents for their community. Figuring out sort of what's that right balance between the granularity of data that you need in the clinical setting for clinical intervention, and then to protect that information and display it in an aggregate level across the community where you protect the confidentiality, but give it granular enough to be able to be meaningful. To maybe address more specifically the challenges that were associated with that, because it requires multi-organization to participate, that means that it also requires multi organizational agreements, so data sharing agreements, MOUs, needing to facilitate and provide the value proposition and have those champions takes time to build. I think engaging the school district, it's such a critical component as part of this whole coalition, but in each local community, that takes a significant amount of time to reach that MOU and get that signed because of the various data restrictions and oftentimes some of the strained resources that exist across school district. Then in the middle of all of this, COVID happened. So that's sort of something that also was a critical component in trying to figure out how do you navigate and still provide these services in a way that enabled the families to navigate both their disease as well as the challenges that COVID presented. I'm curious, as you talked about some of those community work challenges, 
how easy was it to get patients and their families, parents to opt into this, to be actively participating and leveraging this as a part of the care for their children? That had a very specific workflow associated with it, Jamie, as well. Just from a numbers perspective, we risk stratify and identify about 5,000 patients that were the high risk. And those patients were approached and their families, their caregivers approached to enroll into the texting program at about half, 52, 3% to be exact, actually agreed and enrolled. One of the other things that we've noticed is that the retention rate for those they enroll stays extremely high. With a year out, there's still over 80% that continue to be active participants. That immediately told us that that's something that these families certainly find value to that component. We conduct periodic as part of the texting, the qualitative feedback, and over 90% would recommend this program to a friend and a family. And that to me speaks to that you continue to use it, you continue to stay engage, if you're willing to recommend those high rates, it's something that individuals find value in what's being provided. No, that's great. So that realization that those who are using it find it valuable, that high retention rate, that's certainly a very great outcome. Are there other outcomes that you're really proud of in terms of this work with pediatric asthma? When you're able to take this multi-partner approach and be able to engage both individuals, their families, engage providers as well, it takes time, but it does produce meaningful results. Based on our data, it resulted in 36% reduction in ED visits and over 60% reduction in hospitalizations. The other key metric that we wanted to focus on was reduction in the systemic steroid use and we had close to a 60% reduction in that. So when folks to use the preventative asthma inhalers, use less of the steroid and then see tangible changes in the access patterns in less ED, less hospitalization. And we've certainly seen those metrics play out. That's awesome. That's some great outcomes. Share some advice that you might give to other organizations looking to tackle something similar in those big population health issues. How should they get started? Let data drive the efforts, both from the prioritization of individuals that need your services most, but also to use that to coordinate efforts. Clinical data is critically important, but you also need to figure out how do you get that social economic information embedded at scale. The approach that we've taken is to model those social economic variables at the block group level and use geomapping of addresses to tag those factors towards the medical records. That information oftentimes are barriers to individuals being able to access services or the environmental factors that create a higher risk, or there's some other caregiver conditions such as mental behavioral health diagnosis that prevent the caregiver to fully be able to take care of that asthmatic child are vitally important to be able to understand those barriers and use the partners in the community to help bridge those for the population. Going into it with the expectation that it takes time, but you do it for the long term, having it be data driven, but relying on community partners to be able to supplement the clinical care that you're providing. It's vital to be able to make this sustainable and achieve the results that one hopes for. 
Thank you for that. Some great closing insights and key considerations for our listeners. I appreciate you joining me today for our episode of SG2 Perspectives. And as always, I thank our listeners for your attention. Jamie, thank you so much for having me and uh, for the opportunity to share with others in this work. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments or ideas for episodes and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com additionally i recommend that you check out some of the other Visient podcasts which cover a range of clinical and operational areas those can all be found at visientinc.com backslash podcasts mm-hmm.